period of time where two spooky families fought for dominance. It's true. You were either Team Adam's family or Team Monsters. Team Adam's family, suckers. For sure. And while the Adam's family had their time to shine already, today we spend some time with a family led by a cuddly giant. This is the story of the Monsters. This is Toys R Us. <laughs> Monster. Drink it, Betty. Oh, Trump, you're blueberry. How about a bumper sandwich, booger lips? It's the most fun in the park. When you're laughing in the dark. That began the nightmare on my street. We do. It's just a game, isn't it? The Adams Family. Tears <laughs> from the crypt. They say he's tired of his flaming top. He's got a yen to make a swap. So he rides one night each year to find a head in the hollow here. Anything can happen on Halloween. How could a spell on you? Hello, spoopy folks. Hello. Welcome back to the Toys R Us podcast. You're diving to the past to unearth a piece of history of your childhood that just won't die. That's right. Thanks for joining us once again for another day of Halloween goodness. My name is Richard Hunt, and with me as always is my cousin and co-host, Brian Muth. Hello, everybody. Brian. Yes, sir. Today we'll be digging up the dirt on the monsters. Let's dig it. A family made up of monsters and a whole lot of wholesomeness. It's true. That being said, are you ready? You bet. Let's do it. Just gather around and I'll elucidate on what goes on outside when it gets late. We start our story in 1943. Oh. Bob Clampett, who created the Beanie and Cecil cartoon. Oh, I remember that. Thought up a TV show he called The Monster Family. By 1945, the whole thing was developed. The ideas were supposedly taken to Universal Studios, and Clampett never heard of them again. <laughs> the actual monster episodes and movies are credited with being created from a scenario by Chris Hayward and Alan Burns. Hmm. Joe Connolly and Bob Mosher, the creators, writers, and producers behind Leave it to Beaver, got the script Hayward and Burns turned in. Norm Liebman and Ed Haas were hired to develop the show with Connolly and Mosher in charge. The first outcome of all this collaboration was the colored monster pilot entitled My Fair Monster. <laughs> it was directed by Norman Abbott, Bud Abbott's nephew, yeah, and starred Fred Wynn and Al Lewis as Herman and Grandpa. Joe Marshall played wife Phoebe, and Happy Dermot played Eddie. Beverly Owen donned a blonde wig and played Marilyn. Most were amazed that the filming and editing became completed. The color plot was restruck in black and white and for distribution. Eventually, CBS bought the show. A third pilot was made with uh, Yvonne DiCarlo stepping in as Lily. Oh, Yvonne? Yeah. Oh, damn, hold up. That's a French-ass name, Yvonne. And Butch Patrick as Eddie. Yeah. Which was later heavily used in promotion for the new series. By April 1964, the monsters we all know and love had been created. Originally conceived as a color show, the monsters was ultimately filmed in black and white to save money 
and so as to resemble the old black and white monster films from Universal. That makes sense. I can see that. Yeah. Over the course of season one, completed by season one, episode seven, Tin Can Man, makeup for Herman, Lily, and Grandpa was changed. Some of the changes included Lily's hair becoming all black instead of having a gray-slash-white streak on the right side of her head. A change of jewelry was... Uh, a change of jewelry to a bat instead of a star and angled eyebrows. Grandpa was given more exaggerated makeup and heavier eyebrows, and Herman's face was widened to give him a dopier and less human appearance. Yeah. He also added a stutter to bolster his character whenever he was angry or wanted to make a point. And he frequently left his mouth open, adding to the effect of a more goofy, less frightening figure. Yeah. In fact, you can blame color television for the death of the monsters. You see, in early 1966, Batman was the hottest show on television. Yeah. It was a comic book brought to life, a rainbow exploding on the screens of those uh, all-new RCA sets in American living rooms. And ABC's Batman also happened to air opposite CBS's The Monsters. Yep. In comparison to the colorful Cape Crusader, The Monsters' plan suddenly looked... A little drab. Dusty, yeah. Mm -hmm. That spring, after only two seasons, the plug was pulled on The Monsters. That's surprising that something was such a cultural... Yeah. I mean, look at Rocky Horror. Yeah, that's true. Horribly. Yeah. And... Think about it now, how yeah. fucking it's a cult classic, you know? It totally is. Character-wise, we have the following. Herman Munster, the lovable oaf and patriarch. He was a bumbling but well-intentioned family man who continuously tried new things to take care of his family. In the, uh, in the canon of the series, Herman was created in 1815 at the University of Heidelberg by Dr. Victor Frankenstein. Work on him was finally completed around 1850. Neither Lily nor Grandpa is quite sure when, along with his twin brother, Charlie. Leaving Germany for Great Britain at a young age, Herman was adopted by the Monsters of Munster Hall, a noble family living in fictitious Shroudshire, England. At some point, Herman moved to Transylvania, a region in Hungary from the 1920 part of Romania, where he met Lily Dracula in 1865. Mm. Uh, technically at the age of 15, but physically older. Way Herman older. married Lily, and eventually the couple and grandpa, Lily's father, moved to America, where Herman joined the U.S. Army, fighting in World War II. <laughs> hey, we gotta get us some more of them Frankensteins. <laughs> Tell me that if Frankenstein wasn't real right now, that our army would try to utilize Frankenstein power. Oh, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um... In episode 34, Grandpa says that it was thanks to Herman that he was able to leave Transylvania and have a better life in America. We have Lily Munster. Lily is mainly a housewife, and her duties include spreading garbage around the mansion and dusting with a vacuum cleaner operating in reverse so that it blows dirt in the nine-room-in-a-dungeon house. Nice. During the course of the series, Lily works as a welder in a shipyard, a fashion model, and a palm reader in a tea room. In one episode, she forces Herman to give her money that so she and Marilyn, Marilyn can open a beauty parlor, but this soon goes out of business, as Lily assumes her clientele want to look more like her. <laughs> <laughs> These part-time jobs never seem to stick, and Lily will be back home being a, mo- a homemaker by the next episode. Lily is a beautiful and slender woman who appears to be in her middle-aged years, although she is actually hundreds of years old. <laughs> Grandpa, the character's full name is given as Vlad- Vladimir Dracula, Count of Transylvania. <laughs> a running gag in both the original series and the follow-up, The Monsters, today, in his extreme age, 
or as his extreme age, his car, the Dragula, bearing his gravestone reading born 1367 through question mark. Question mark, yeah. Grandpa talks of having personally known various figures throughout history, including Nero, King Arthur, Richard the Lionheart, and Jack the Ripper. Grandpa declares his age is 378 years old in the episode Grandpa's Lost Wife, aired 8 February 3rd, 1966, placing his date of birth in the year 1588. In the Monsters Today, uh, in the Monsters Today episode, It's My Party and I'll Die If I Want To, aired 8 October 2nd, 1991, Grandpa celebrates his 402nd birthday. The family uses a time machine and brings back significant people from his life, including his friend Genghis Khan, nice. brother Yorga, Played by Sandy Barron, who played Grandpa in the 1995 TV movie The Monster's Scary Little Christmas. Nice. And former girl, girlfriend Shirley Zelbnick. And his overbearing mother, played by actress Ruth Buzzy. We have Eddie, an all, a typical all-American boy, apart from being a werewolf. Right. And in some episodes, showing some signs of being part vampire. Most notable is the fact that he sleeps in a chest of drawers. <laughs> he has a stuffed toy werewolf, which he named Wolf Wolf, which bears an uncanny resemblance to Lon Chaney Jr.'s portrayal of Larry Talbot in the 1941 feature film The Wolfman. Baller. Uh, he attends elementary school, and aside from his pointy ears, severe widow's peak, and Fauntleroy suit, he is a normal kid. Yeah. You have Marilyn. Marilyn is a fetching young woman and the only member who is not ghoulish in appearance. <laughs> She's the only one that looks normal. Yeah. Uh, by the monster's aesthetic standards, she is distressingly unattractive. <laughs> the family views Marilyn's appearance as an affliction, but still treat her with kindness and love. Marilyn herself is all too aware of her homeliness and bemoans that she keeps scaring off potential boyfriends, having no clue that the young man, in fact, frightened away by her family. Right. She attends Westbury College in Mockingbird Heights. She is devoted to her family, and the surest way for a suitor to alienate Marilyn rather than vice versa is to disparage them. Yeah. She considers her Uncle Herman and Grandpa the two finest men who ever walked this earth. Despite being a normal beauty by society standards, the monster's strange subculture of vampires, werewolves, zombies, sorcerers, mad scientists, etc. has made her a ghoul at heart. She regularly assists Lily in cooking rodents and festooning the house with cobwebs. Mm. Like the rest of her family, she really she believes that the monster's lifestyle is normal, and dissenters are out of step. In one episode, Herman was temporarily transformed into a normal clean-cut man. The family, including Marilyn, was appalled and physically repelled by the tragic event. <laughs> After the cancellation, the network couldn't ignore the continuing popularity of the monsters. Thus, a string of movies were created. They performed in Monsters Go Home shortly after. Later, they did The Monster's Revenge. And in 1994, John Landis approached Al Lewis at a famous Monsters convention and asked him to appear in the Monsters movie Here Comes the Monsters that appeared on October 31st, 1995 on the Fox, Fox Network. Al, Yvonne, Butch, and Pat appear in a restaurant in the movie. Which I like. I love that shit where they like, mm-hmm. get the people... Because I think like most of the Brady Bunch had cameos... Yeah, they in did. In the Brady Bunch movie. They did, yeah. Like, Alice was the truck driver. Right. I think, like, all of them were still alive at that point, except for Robert mm-hmm. Reed. Yeah. Yeah. On December 17th, 1996, a monster movie entitled The Monster's Scary Little Christmas came out. This was the second Monster's movie on Fox. You can also find the original Herman Monster appearing in commercials uh, on TV. Computers are used to splice in his image. This wouldn't have happened when Fred Gwynn was alive because he regretted his involvement in the monsters. 
Did he really? He felt that he was typecast and was not able to find much work after the show. Um, yeah, I guess. One of the last appearances in a movie was on Pet Cemetery, which... Goddamn. Classic. classic. Uh, he also did voiceovers... Sometimes dead is better. <laughs> oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just imagine a world where he, uh, where Fred Gwynn voiced Goofy. <laughs> yep. Um, he also did voiceovers on the Hardee's commercials. There's only one thing worse than undercooked roast beef, and that's overcooked roast beef. That's why Hardee's carefully cooks every roast beef with a meat thermometer, so that every single slice is just as juicy and tender as the next one. Finding a better roast beef sandwich would be tough. No matter how you slice it, the hot roast beef sandwich from Hardee's. And appeared in the comedy Murder by the Book in 1987. Today, the Munster home is still standing on a Universal Studios lot in California. The old dark gray facade is gone, and it bears a fresh coat of paint and manicured lawn. Hardly a home suitable for our demented family. Indeed. You know who was a part of our demented family? I have an idea. It's facty. It is. It's a fact in the box. Fans love the Munster coach, so the producers ordered another car from Bears from Rampa. He named it Dragula. It had a 289-cubic-inch Ford Mustang engine on the body of a casket. Barris had enormous difficulty getting that casket. Stephen Cox quotes Barris, I went to several funeral parlors because I wanted to buy a real casket for this car, <laughs> but they wouldn't sell one unless you were dead. Barris says, laughing, Finally, one place had broken one in the corner, and the, but the owner wouldn't sell it. I had a fellow put in some money in an envelope and leave it while the owner and I took a walk out back. My guys picked up the casket and walked out. <laughs> they literally spooked off with a casket. That's awesome. It's fucking great, man. Dude, that's like one of the greatest stories I've ever heard yeah. in our fact in the box. Yeah. Uh, Lily was not in the original pilot episode for the Monsters. And had, instead, Herman is married to a much more gothic-looking wife named Phoebe, played by John Marshall. The producers scrapped the Phoebe character after deciding she seemed almost an exact double of the Morticia Adams character on the Adams family. Um. Lily appeared in the second pilot in all their episodes. In the pilot, the Phoebe character was depicted as more goth in nature, and also has a somewhat abrasive, bickering relationship with Herman and a strained relationship with Eddie. Both elements toned down with Lily. Sure. Bert Lahr, who played the cowardly lion in The Wizard of Oz, was offered the role of Grandpa Munster. And John Carradine, a Horton Western actor and David Carradine's father, was offered the role of Herman Munster. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Uh, Al Lewis ran for governor of New York in 1998 as a Green Party candidate. He got 52,000 votes. That's that's a fucking that's lot. That's pretty respectable. Uh, as the Munsters gained popularity, its stars received more and more requests to appear at various functions. The producers, of course, sent the actors out as often as possible since such appearances not only promoted the show, but they also propelled the sales of the various Monsters merchandise that saturated the market at the time. Sure. Yeah. Only Fred Gwynn was able to relax on his days off, for the most part, since the time and expense required to get him into a character outweighed the publicity value of cutting ribbons at supermarket openings. Sure. One of the rare times he played Herman in public was alongside Al Lewis in the 1964 Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. The 
first sure sign of Christmas in New York is the Macy Parade, when Santa Claus is conducted to town by an assortment of clowns and floats that sets the mood for the holiday season. The crowd has a feast for the eyes. A float from the Radio City Music Hall, for example. The big city becomes a place of fantasy for a few hours as the parade winds down Broadway. The kids are fascinated, those from 7 to 70. This year, something new has been added, something from way out. It's the town car of the Munster family, and those TV favorites have come up with a gasser. It's a car not even Detroit could conceive, so the Munsters had it custom-built to the tune of $20,000, but it gets only three miles to the Gulen, according to Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis, who lurk behind all that makeup. They must be fine, clean-cut boys, though, to escort Santa Claus to town. Incidentally, they wish you a monstrously Merry Christmas. Fred confessed to the TV guy that he had been taking slugs from a bottle of whiskey the entire time because he had to get bombed so he could say hello to the little kitties for 40 blocks. Oh, wow. <laughs> Even though Fred Gwynn would eventually reminisce that Herman was one of his favorite characters, the time he spent on the Munsters set was often fairly miserable thanks to the various devices necessary to transform him into the lovable Frankenstein character. Sure. On his feet, he wore asphalt paver's boots with four-inch soles, and his thighs, arms, and torso were covered in 40 pounds of foam rubber padding. Oh, boy. He contended with back pain daily caused by the weight of the suit and inflexibility of the shoes. His, fed was, his head was fitted with a foam latex piece to flatten the top of his head, and he had to, then he had to endure two hours in the makeup chair. Ugh. He perspired freely under the heavy costume and hot studio lights and lost 10 pounds in one month despite consuming gallons of lemonade between takes. Whoa. The producers eventually rented a compressed air tank and would poke the nozzle inside Gwen's collar to blow coal in there. <laughs> we used to do that in the wood shop. That was nice. Hell yeah. Uh, on the show, a minor voice acting position was played by the legendary voice actor Mel Blanc. Oh. The role of the Raven, the cuckoo clock that would occasionally say things throughout the show, oh, was yeah. voiced by Blank. Uh, the character Herman Munster was ranked number 19 in the TV Guide's list of 50 greatest TV dads of all time. That's a pretty respectable... Not bad at all. Uh, Mockingbird Lane was a 2012 television special developed as a reimagining of the 1960s sitcom. Oh, yeah. It was developed for NBC by Brian Fuller. Yeah. Which, you know, dead like me. Dead like me. Hannibal. Pushing daisies. Pushing daisies. Which is just like, damn, man. Nah. That guy is just cursed. I think it's because I have his autograph. <laughs> but think about it. Dead Like Me only had, like, what, three seasons? Two. Okay, Dead Like Me had a two. TV movie. Yeah, there you go. Which yeah. was horrible. Yeah, it wasn't that great. Not good at all. No. Hannibal had se three seasons. Yeah. Which I heard was awesome. So, dude, it's so fucking good. Yeah. It's so goddamn good. Mads Mikkelsen? Yeah. <sighs> fucking phenomenal. Hmm. I also pre-ordered Death Stranding. <laughs> oh, there you go. Um, yeah, the pilot episode aired on October 26, 2012 as a Halloween special with the option for a series order. The special was viewed by 5.47 million American viewers and gained a 1.5 out of 5 rating. Ooh. Ugh. That's the one with Eddie Izzard, his grandpa, right? Yep. Jerry O'Connell is human monster, or as Herman Monster, a man made from parts of other people. Uh, they made him look more human-like. Yeah, though. they did. Uh, he's very intel He's very intelligent, but has a sensitive heart. He loves his family, and to a lesser extent, his father-in-law. 
Um, his heart, the last remaining part from his original body, is dying because he loves too hard. Portia de Rossi plays Lily. Um, Charity Wakefield is Marilyn. Fucking Mason Cook is Eddie Munster. And of course, Eddie Izzard is Grandpa. Yeah. Which is just like, really fucking spot on. Yeah, for sure. Contrary to the popular belief, the Munsters were not the first couple on TV to share a bed. It was real-life couple Mary Kay Stearns and John Stearns on their show Mary Kay and Johnny, 1947. Hmm. Which is like, oh shit, that's risque. Yeah. Especially for them. And with that, we come to the end of another spooky journey. Come back tomorrow for another day of Halloween goodies. Until next time, remember to dig through the ditches and burn through the witches That's right. and slam in the back of my And remember, you will always be a Toys R Us kid. <laughs>